Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. So if you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and I love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Hi, welcome. I hope you had a wonderful weekend and you're starting your week with some energy and some enthusiasm. And I'm here to giving you a little bit of positivity and some really cool insights with my new guest today. Today we have John Syke on the podcast and he really inspired me with his story. He is a twice exceptional adult. He is gifted, but he also has autism. So he didn't know about very recently. And this is very common, as I understand that a lot of adults do not know that they're gifted or they did know as a child and then they rediscovered their giftedness. But sometimes they also find out that they're actually twice exceptional. And that sometimes comes as a shock, but sometimes also as some form of relief as it gives answers and some insights. So I don't want to share too much because John is going to share his own story with us. So without further ado, here's John. Welcome, John. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Yes, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I mean, we had a couple other good conversations, so this is exciting for me. Yeah, it's really interesting to have you because I believe you have such an incredible, powerful story and you're serving a very interesting population and very underserved population. But before we talk about what you're offering and what you do for you know, the gifted world at this point. Do you want to share your own story and how you discovered that you one of the neurodivergent humans? Yes, of course. I um, And I think that's actually a great place to start because it makes more sense as to where I'm going with my journey here. So it's hard to exactly know where to start, but I would say 
I'll first start like this journey for me that I'm on right now started about a year ago. And it was October 1st, and I had an assessment with Jen from Intergifted. And almost like right off the bat, she was like, well, has anyone considered autism for you? And it was like the first time anyone ever said that to me. And so I said, no, no. But although I had senses of characteristics of it, but no real diagnosis because now I am in the mental health field. And so there's a very monolithic view of what autism is. So it didn't seem to correlate with me. So she did say, you know, why don't you explore the autism part more? But more so, I had originally gone to her about the gifted part. And that, I think, sets up where I even ended up sitting across from her. And it was more or less a lifelong kind of journey to get in there. Um, Most of my life, I always had this internal drive to get to know myself or to understand myself. But there is also this other thing where... I didn't necessarily understand or feel like I related to most people, I would say. A lot of times I found that I would bring up ideas or thoughts and it would just kind of fall flat. And there was no response or people would say, okay. And and so I, I really kept that stuff to myself. But there was this, there was always this part inside of me that said, there's more to what you're saying or you're experiencing than what exists. But that was very young. I mean, I'm looking at like four or five years old, maybe. And so growing up was was a challenge. There was a lot of bullying, a lot of social things that I struggled with, being able to connect with others. But eventually, probably around like when I was 13 or so, I just used my gifted side of myself, which I didn't know was there, And I befriended the popular kids and basically did their homework for them so that they would accept me so that then I wouldn't be the target of bullying. And that was my way of navigating the world. But I hid myself completely. Did well in school, did all my degrees and things like that and went into a certain career. But every time I went into a job, I found that with a couple exceptions, there's always challenges. There was like a huge transition for me from academics to the working world. And what I now understand it as is that I had no blueprint or model for quote unquote, the real world. And I think that's really on the autism side. Growing up, everything was very structured and kind of provided. But being able to transition into the real world was one of the most difficult transitions I kept trying to find new jobs, new careers, and nothing fit, you know? And so I was in therapy for a number of years just because through all this, I mean, there was trauma, depression, anxiety, and the therapy helped, but it got me to a certain point. And then I realized for a number of years, I was just cycling and looping. There was something missing. And I didn't know what that was. There was like this lack of understanding of myself, of who am I? Why do I not feel like other people? And there was always this view that, or this sense that others just kind of got it or life just was. And there was this prescribed kind of path of 
Well, in the United States, it's the American dream. Go to school, get a good job, picket fence, 2.5 kids, and you'll enjoy life. Well, I wasn't enjoying life. There was like big parts missing. I was very fortunate though. So, so I did like, I tried a diff- few different careers and it's funny. My father, he unfortunately, he died when I was young. He was 18, which also had a major impact on me, which I understand more as I start to get into my profile, why it was such a profoundly changing moment in my life. But he said to me, he's like, you're good with people. Why don't you check out psychology? And I really did get interest in psychology. However, tied in with it, the trauma of his death then made me feel like, well, I need to follow the prescribed path of making money and going down that route, which is what was given to us by society. And I tried it, but it wasn't working. And where I'm getting to, though, is through my therapy, I also so I I heard my father and I did study psychology, but I didn't really apply it much. About 10 or 15 years later, I had a therapist who said to me, why don't you become a social worker? And I was like, all right. And it was like kind of like my shortcut way of getting, becoming a therapist. And it was what I originally wanted to do. But when I was younger, I was going through so much turmoil and so much stuff. It was like, how can I be present for other people? I'm not present for myself. And so going into therapy as a therapist and studying the mental health field, it gave me a perspective and a view, which I'll talk about more later, that has now materially changed. But when something interesting happened, and it was probably about four years ago now, a client of mine who we've been working together who now I recognize as highly gifted. We were conversing on very complex, deep levels. And like, it was among the most engaging sessions that I had with a person. And at that point though, I also have like this intellectual trauma. So there's always this deferral to others as being the authority or being more cognitively capable than I and it was funny and I really had no idea and interestingly one time the manager said to me he's like why don't you speak up more you know you're smarter than them and like I heard that but I'm like it didn't mean anything to me like I didn't there's nothing about being more than it's just different but something strange inside of me happened though when I started to meet with this gentleman and we had these conversations, all of a sudden this internal drive around like intelligence and am I smart started to happen. And I just started to like follow where it was taking me. I can't even say I know why or or how. And so one of the things I did is I sort of convinced myself that, okay, I'm gonna go for a full psychological evaluation with an IQ score so that I know what it's like to go through when I send my clients. But really, I wanted to know myself. <laughs> so I went to it, and in one of our previous conversations, we had talked about this, and it did not go well. I mean, I came out as non-gifted. And so I was like, oh, man. So like, all right, I'm average. I'm not anything other. Right, that is what it is. 
but it was a very spiky profile. And again, it was one of these internal senses and feelings of something is off here. And that kept me researching and diving into IQ tests. What does it mean? Why things look the way they do? Somehow I ended up at Intergifted website. And I read through it. A lot of it resonated with me. And I'm like, this is interesting. And it's a different type of evaluation or assessment is a qualitative one. When all that was said to me, there was a level of validation, but there was also a level of fear is a strong word. However, I'm halfway through my life, give or take, and I'm finding this out now. It took a while to really grasp and to accept. However, I dove right in and I started working with coaches, mentors, trying to get networking with others in the community, as well as taking a few courses, reading a lot. Some of it was trying to disprove what was over here. Some of it was trying to just understand and make sense out of it. But once I went through that process, it puts things in perspective and it makes sense out of why my life was the way it was. And that was, has actually been imperative or so important to my own psychological growth and wholeness as a person. So as I mentioned before, there's always this push to be like others, like the Noah majority, if you will. So I kept trying to pick out what it was to do, but it was all a facade and fake. It was all a mask. And I think other people could see that. And I certainly knew that. And it kept me from being myself in its full totality. Not to say that I am now. It's still a process. But I've noticed that as I show up more as myself and I feel more accepting and understanding of who I am, it does make life navigation just a little bit easier. But more so, more understanding. And the understanding in the sense of it's not me, not me being pathological, mentally having issues or that there's something wrong with me. It's simply different. And that distinction has made the world for me. And it even goes back to being in the mental health field. Going through that schooling and that education using the DSM-5, for example, which is the standard for mental health, it's all pathological. But yet, when we move into this gifted twice exceptionality realm, a lot of it is not necessarily pathological. It is a manner of expression and divergent thinking that is... It just is. And it might be in the minority in terms of prevalence, but it's not pathological because it's not neuromajority. Thank you for sharing your story. It resonates so much. Obviously, if you see one gifted person or one neurodivergent person, you see one. But there's always pieces that you know resonate and we do have similarities. You grew up in the U.S., I did. So in Europe at the time when I was growing up, none of my classmates got screened. So you said, no, you didn't get 
any diagnosis. Nobody ever screened you for giftedness or because you said you did other people's homework, right? Yes, that's a good, very good question. So people always looked at me and said, oh, you know, you're you're smart. So I'm using my adult self now of my understanding of giftedness to explain what was happening then. What I was finding is that, okay, I was doing well, but there was so much compensation for the intermix of the twice exceptionality between giftedness and autism. And so neither shined strong enough necessarily to be yes, it's definitely this or definitely that, or even that it was mixed together. To answer your question directly, yeah, everyone was like, oh, you know, you do great at school, you're smart. What I was feeling, though, internally was a lot of angst and worry that I would suddenly lose it. And what I'm understanding is with the autism part going through school, between the over the simulation of, let's say, the classroom setup, the way the classroom size, let's say, the way that the teachers were teaching or the, the way things were, were laid out was overstimulating. Not being connected, let's say, socially was overwhelming and incredibly anxiety feeling like I didn't want to go. I mean, there were so many mornings I remember where I would just cry before school and tell my mom I don't want to go in. And so from my perspective, that level of emotional depth and intensity that I was experiencing from a negative perspective that was really, it was heavy. It was just a heaviness. I think that overshadowed my ability to really shine on the gifted side. With that being said, yes, I always did well. I do what I need to. I actually was placed in the gifted and talented program. I stayed for about three or four months and then I dropped out because all it was was more work of the same stuff. <laughs> and from my perspective, I'm like, oh, that's not really helping. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't mean any, like I don't need more work. It's like I, I need a different perspective. I don't need or necessarily want the rote memory and also sequential. And so, yes, I, I, I was, I guess, I suppose identified, but I deselected myself, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. That's also kind of a gifted thing I heard. Like, Is some, okay. yeah, you're not the first of my guests who said like, oh, yeah, I was placed in a gifted program, but I didn't like it. So I, I left it. Yeah, <laughs> so it. I'm asking these questions just to show also giftedness and twice exceptionality, especially if you say, you know, you're identified with autism, you're you're not this super brainy genius that stood out in school and school was easy and you memorized it all. And no. I just want to showcase that, you know, it's it everybody has such a different experience and we have these stereotypes. And even if you're not identified as kid, you can still be gifted. Yep. You bring up like a very good point there of something that I've come to understand. And I, well, particularly in the United States, IQ is like the gold standard for if you're smart or not. And is how it's measured. There's a whole history behind the IQ measure, what its original intention was, and then how it's been used over the years. And it is so 
unidimensional from my perspective compared to the gifted experience. And I think that that does a disservice also to the full community of giftedness because from my perspective, that measures the things that will help you be successful either in school or in corporate world. And which is sort of ironic because a lot of gifted people don't fit well in those institutions. And yet that's a measure that's being used to assess for it. I just, I, I find that pretty ironic or funny. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And then that was my, also my experience because I was thinking, okay, I have to be fast, remember all the facts, and be walking Wikipedia or whatever. But as you had even said before, you meet one person that's twice exceptional. You meet one person that is gifted, but you've met one person that is. And that's what this is. And that is now what I'm beginning to understand. The funny thing is also, I have found that my cognition has begun to open up more, if you will, as some of the trauma is melting away. So what's really funny is that when I was growing up and I was saying before, vote memory isn't like a strong suit of mine. And that's really how the educational system was. But now I'm helping my daughter in her math homework and I'm looking at it and I view it so much. I visually see it so much differently. It's not like how I saw it when I was her age of just the numbers and the sequences. I'm seeing the patterns between through them. And then I'm explaining it to her and she's understanding better. And, and, and so I think this is important for other people to know that the experiences you have over your life that may cause, I'll use the word trauma, I think it's the best one to use, really can change how you present and express yourself to the world. And as you begin to learn yourself and understand your blocks and move through them and pass them to becoming more closely to your authentic self, your different skills and abilities or parts of self begin to present themselves to the world. Yeah. And also probably if the pressure of school and the bullying and the whole environment changes, it just opens up more brain capacity for, for other things. It does, because I didn't have to worry about the social aspect. Growing up was really difficult. You know, as I'm sitting here, thinking, yeah, it was, it was very challenging. As I've been able to remove or move away from some of those environments, and you're absolutely right, the exhaustion or the energy towards one endeavor is now expended in other areas. You said you then also battle with depression, anxiety, and you went through therapy. And I'm asking you this because you are a therapist yourself. Looking back, do you believe you were misdiagnosed or do you believe this was a true diagnosis, but there was just more to it? Or is depression depression or is it existential depression? Because I hear a lot of like people are misdiagnosed or there's overlap. So I'm, I'm wondering how you kind of look back to your own situation. I'm going to say that for a good period of time, I, I did have actual depression, but I also have overexcitabilities. And that intensity leads to 
a certain manifestation. So there was one time I was definitely mixed diagnosed and it was actually shortly after my father had passed. And for my gifted profile, my dominant areas are emotional and sensual. And so everything gets processed through that along with the overexcitability. And so I was expressing myself very intensely. Long and short, I was diagnosed with bipolar and a given, you know, lithium. I happened to be, it was during college. I was doing psychology. I knew by what bipolar was by that point. I knew lithium. I look at the script and I threw it in the trash. So I knew that wasn't it. Don't ask me how or why, but I'm like, this is not it. I know that much. The help with the depression was really from a cognitive standpoint, because I had in my mind created so many beliefs and cognitive distortions that I had to work through. And those negative self-talk and those false beliefs were leading to a depression from my perspective. And once I was able to gain better control over my thinking and my thoughts and combat them, I believe then I moved into the existential depression era. And that's why I was looping because I didn't have the missing pieces, which was, who are you, John? And I knew there were missing pieces and I couldn't figure it out. And I think that was the drive that kept me going. And I'm going to use the word intuition that kept me driving. I didn't know what it was, but now I can recognize it, that I was following my intuition on a path towards what was needed. So at a time, the depression was properly diagnosed, and then it's moved into existential. I also had an experience, a somatic experience, probably just over a year ago, because the depression in and of itself makes no sense within the context of my life, really. And a lot of it actually was carried emotions from other people in my life. And right now, I would say, you know, I have tidbits of existential elements of it. Plus, as I'm going through my own journey, there's positive disintegration. And so I'm experiencing everything that goes along with that, along that journey. But I wouldn't consider that pathological. It's part of the process. Anxiety is still an outstanding one for me. So from my from my research so far, there's a high preponderance of anxiety with autism. And so I do on a regular basis have just a general low level concern or, or, or feelings of anxiety. And that has to do with, from my perspective, the unpredictability of life and what can happen or unpredictability of social situations. And Again, it's so ironic because it's very likely I could handle most things that come my way. It just doesn't compute in my head yet. So that's still a work in progress. And to your point about the misdiagnosis, misdiagnosis among twice exceptionality and giftedness is mental health does not view, there's no literature, there's no study and I won't even say mental health. Let me broaden it and just say psychology. Get to psychology isn't a thing in the mainstream. And so there's no access to that. In, there's no access to it. So there, you don't know what you don't know. And twice exceptionality. So I have begun to talk to other colleagues and other things. And I use that term just to see. None of them know what it is. And then I 
explain it and talk about it. And they focus on the autism part. And then they had the monolithic view of autism. And that is going to be a very, I look to see how this unfolds over the years because that needs to change. Like there ha- from my perspective, there needs to be more awareness of this of these profiles so that we are approaching them in the way they need to be approached. Do you want to share and do a little bit of awareness work right here and say, okay, autism is not this monolithic thing? What do you want to say? What is it from your perspective? Yes, I very much do. And I'll I'll go from my perspective. My understanding, my assessment and my acknowledgement of it, it was typically either Asperger's or low functioning. And ironically, one of the group practices I worked at, the person basically overseeing it was an autism specialist, but didn't even notice it within me. And so I think that's almost an indicator of the DSM-5 lists out what autism looks like, and that's it. And miss that there's so much more to it. May I ask, what, what did Jen then see, or what, what was the cues that she was like, okay, John, I think maybe you you could look into autism? Like, what was the difference from the gifted side and the autism side? It had to do with my thought process being structured and organized in a way that is typical within autism. And I also think the difficulties I had socially growing up were part of what she saw that led me down it. Now, as I'm exploring it, I'm recognizing a lot more in what it manifests for myself. I am more aware now when I'm in social situations that indeed I do have trouble understanding what is expected or not expected, but it's tough to answer because the autism and the giftedness intertwine. So my giftedness wants to talk in depth and complexity, but socially that doesn't quite work. And so then I was running into that. But what I've noticed a lot is people do things. And then like, I look to actually my wife to help me understand why they did what they did. Because before I think, I was just assuming and making and just accepting that, oh, that's what it is, but not really a questioning to try and understand it and really acknowledging that I didn't understand it. And there was okay to acknowledge that I didn't understand it. So a lot of it has to do in that area. Actually, the biggest one for me is energy management. And what I learned is autism burnout and autism fatigue. And not having known that I had autism, my gifted side wanted to move at 100 miles an hour, and it did. But I kept crashing one way or the other. I would either crash for short periods of times or long periods of time, or just have complete like meltdowns, for example. But now I know that it was, I was pushing beyond what my CNS could handle. And so 
managing my energy has been critical to also managing the strong manifestations of the autism. I didn't exactly answer your question directly, but it was more of, I think Jen saw the way that I spoke and the way I structured my thinking along with, and my wife has started to notice this for me as well. I think the way I speak is unique. Like I tend, I want to be very detailed and precise. And I think that's a manifestation of the autism also that was probably picked up on. It just shows that it's not this stereotypical kind of, you know, when you talk with people that don't work in this field or don't, you know, immerse themselves in this field, the person when you say, oh, you know, male autism, it's Rain Man, that's the person that pops up. Yeah, it is. And I thought I had characteristics or traits of it. I'm like, okay, well, it's it just like, let's say a continuum or something. And, and all right, so I have a few manifestations of it, but it doesn't mean that it is. But to see that it actually is was just absolutely mind-blowing that the field has missed or is not addressing this whole other part of the population that would be very beneficial for them to have the awareness so that they know how to manage and how to and what it is instead of pathologizing themselves. I'm speaking for myself. I mean, I pathologize myself. And so I'm saying that if others are pathologizing themselves, that take another consideration and, and another perspective that it is who you are and you can manage it and it's not pathological or wrong. It's just different. It's just different. I just think your story and your profile is so interesting because we do have this stereotype, if I may say so, you know, white boys with autism gifted. And then you have like overexcitability and the gifted side is the emotional and the sensual, which is also not like, you know, the typical masculinity traits. And nope. That gives you such a different profile and characteristics. And it's, you know, so refreshing to talk to you oh, that, you, you know, giftedness <laughs> looks like, can look like so many different ways. And, yeah. and I do have listeners, especially as a male listeners, reaching out and saying it's really hard because there are these male dominant stereotypes and they are vulnerable. They are in a bad place. They battle with depression. They found out about their giftedness. And as you said, you know, you went to therapy. I guess that was also not an easy step. You did get some help, but it wasn't the help you needed, right? That's you, correct. you said you looped. I did. You would have needed somebody to understand giftedness and twice exceptionality much earlier. Precisely. That is the missing piece. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up about the profile aspect of emotional sensual being dominant. And that is very unique in men. Well, let me take that back. I don't know if it's unique in men so much as it's not socially normalized for expression. And so it may actually be much more prevalent, but it's not expressed. I certainly suppressed it. I tried to become intellectually dominant and, oh, you know, follow that, like I said before, the monolithic IQ view of what giftedness is. 
but that's not how my brain works. And so it's never going to work that way. And once I had that understanding and that acceptance, I allow things to process through my dominant so they can get to my intellectual in the way that it needs to, to then express itself. And what's so funny is that I only until recently have started to really have pivoted my practice to focus on the twice exceptional autism male. And as I look back, and even currently, I have a disproportionate number of 2E autism males on my caseload. And we work well together. And it just is interesting to me that how did they find me and how did that? Because it is uncommon and rare. So they resonated with them and they reached out Yes, without knowing, you know. That's also what I can see with my friends. You know, I, I did change friend circles or I have, you know, picked up friends along the way here one and there one. And then now I'm like, but they're all gifted. Yes. <laughs> and so I think we do kind of subconsciously pair ourselves with pe like-minded people. So do you want to share a little bit about your practice, which yeah. I mean, being a psychologist, you already kind of paved your way unknowingly to where you are now. Right. Yeah, I have. And isn't that how life works that you don't quite know why you're doing what you're doing until hindsight? So yes. Yeah, so Part of what I originally started into therapy was, was to focus on men's issues. And that derived from my relationship with my father, who struggled himself mentally, with mental health. But there was always something missing. Yeah, I worked well with men, but there was something just not there. And once I found my own profile of, I used the acronym 2EAM to kind of combine the twice exceptional autism male. That actually kind of puts all the pieces together. It's also, in as much as I wanted, I thought I wanted to focus on men's issues, I have like a repertoire of like information that just sits there. But with the 2EAM, like I've, do I've dove into it over the last year and just studied through as much as I could, which has now also presented that there isn't all that much out there. So my focus is on coaching other 2EAM with their own psychological wholeness and development and growth and personality. I do like the Dabrowski model of positive disintegration. And so I help them understand the parts of themselves and how they interact with each other. And then working through the blocks, because most, um, I'll speak for myself, but also those that I have worked with, have blocks that they've set up to navigate the world which are no longer needed and maladaptive. So, you know, we find those and we help remove those so that you can further express yourself and be who you are in, in the world and expressing yourself. That's one part of it. The other part is this is very much in its infancy stage and it's building a foundation of knowledge for 2 a.m., that will gather as much as possible as well as where it might include research and this and that so that there is a base of knowledge that, that can be re-expressed into the world so that awareness can become possible. 
So that's where my focus is now, and I'm extremely excited. I have a wonderful support team around me that helping me to build this. So I'm very excited also to be offering and to working with the population that with 2AM and obviously has a personal meaning to me. Oh, it, it's so beautiful to to hear your story, you know, like, and and a lot of people working in this field, they had a, a personal story and then, yeah, pivoting and using this and just being able to understand your clients, where they come from, because I guess a lot of your clients, they probably have been misunderstood for a very long time. And it's so needed. So thank you so much for doing all that you're doing. And so where can people find you if they want to reach out? Yeah, thank you. Um, So I think the the best way to find me is to go to my website, which is www.johnsyke.com. And on there, you can read what I offer, a little bit more about me and um, how to contact me. Thank you. So is there anything else that you would like to share with the world? Is there anything you wish people knew, something you wish you knew earlier? Yeah. There's a couple things that I have learned as I sit here talking to you that I think are very important, at least from my perspective and what I've gained. Society, our institutions, and the way the world works is a socially constructed system. And even though you may not feel like you connect or fit well with it, doesn't mean you're it's pathologically, mentally ill, or that there's a problem or anything. It means that you express yourself differently, especially when, and I am speaking specifically on the twice exceptionality, giftedness, and any other twice exceptionality. Granted, when we're talking about the exceptionality, yes, it, it is considered a disability, and it can be managed, and it can be utilized, but doesn't have to be pathological. And I think that's really important that through this journey, and I think most, at least I know I've done, is I try to incorporate and become, quote unquote, what I thought society wanted. And that caused me more sickness than recognizing consciously what parts of beliefs I want to hold on to that serve me still and what I can let go of so that I can progress through life. So I think that's really important for people to know that there is a way through this. If you are feeling, you don't know which way to turn. Thank you so much for sharing. And I believe that that's such a powerful ending to our conversation. And now people, if they do feel misunderstood, they have an address to to reach out to. Thank you so much, John, for sharing. Nadia, thank you so much for having me on. It was such a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. Your podcast is very important. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with John. 
If you want to find out more, then all the links are in the show note. And if you do want to support this podcast, then please, please like, subscribe and leave a written review. This is, again, the best way how you can support this show at this point. By liking, subscribing and leaving a written review, you will help the algorithm show this podcast to other listeners who might need to hear this. And you can also help by spreading the word by sharing this episode with somebody you think that might be interested or might need to hear this. You can also find more information at UnleashMonday.com. I did create a community for gifted and twice exceptional women. And currently the doors are still closed, but we're probably going to open the door soon. So for the new year, let's see what's coming. And if you want to just stay up to date, you can subscribe to the newsletter, but you can also subscribe to the waitlist specifically if you want to join this community for twice exceptional and gifted women. So with that said, I'm super happy you listened to this episode and thank you for your trust and time. And I see you in two weeks. Bye.